We'll turn now in God's holy and infallible words to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. As we continue our series through this epistle of John. 1 John chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 5 to 10 of this chapter. Now this morning, before I begin properly, I just want to prepare you a little bit. This will be a challenging text, a very probing text. And it's probing for this very reason. Our own confession of faith says in chapter 25 that the purest churches, that is the best churches that are around, are subject to both mixture and error. Every single church, no matter how good or how sanctified or holy it is, is subject to both mixture and error. And that can also apply to its membership. To its membership. Because we are dealing with the subject of assurance and the joy associated with. Remember verse 4 of this chapter. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full This is the purpose John is writing this epistle. That the true believer in Jesus Christ may have greater grounds for the assurance of their faith. And may have greater joy in the midst of that. Last week then we also looked at verse 5 by itself. Verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And this is really the foundation for what we're going to look at this morning. This verse that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And out of that, what does it look like to follow this God who is light? What is a consistent way to live as a person who professes to believe in this God and to follow him? A life That is consistent with our profession of faith. If you remember our terms of membership as a denomination. That is the fourth terms of membership. I endeavor, I promise. To live a life consistent. With my profession of faith. What we're going to be looking at here this morning. Are warning signs or red flags. Red flags. And this is to indicate Something is wrong if this red flag can be identified in your walk. And dear friends, if these things are here in your walk, that John is laying out, we should be concerned. We should be concerned. If I could speak to the boys and girls who are here this morning, I just want to ask you, do any of you like animals? Do any of you like animals? I bet you like animals. And do you have a favorite animal? Do you know I have a favorite animal? Do you know what it is? Dogs. I love dogs. Now, imagine you have a friend and he says to you, I love dogs. I don't like cats at all. Ugh, I don't like cats. But your friend comes over to your house and spends all the time playing with your cat. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense at all. You're thinking... I think that guy's more of a cat person than he is a dog person. The way we live, doesn't it? It tells people about us, doesn't it? It tells us what we like. 
It tells us what we dislike. But think about God, who is light. And we tell people we love God, who is light. Do you think our lives will be different? Compared to people who don't love God? Absolutely. It should. Our lives will never be perfect. But our works will show the world what we truly believe. If you love Jesus, if you love God, who is light, will you love darkness? That doesn't make any sense, does it? To be filled with darkness. No, our life is to be filled with light. To guide us, to lead us, that we love God. That if people look at our lives as, oh, that young boy, that young girl, that older man, that older woman, they love God because they spend all their time with God they love being with God but if your life is full of darkness that's a red flag that's a danger and it's a danger for your eternal soul so we're going to read now from verses 5 to 10 verses 5 to 10 of 1 John chapter 1 Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. For our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. Our title for this morning's message is Red Flags. Of false assurance. Red flags of false assurance. Now, red flags, that expression says this something's wrong. You, you fly the red flag, there's some, there's some issue here. Something has to be dealt with. There's a problem. And this problem here is of false assurance. False assurance. And to remind ourselves, what does assurance mean? You believe in Jesus Christ, and not only that, you know that you know. You know that you belong to him. You are sure that Christ has redeemed you and has you in his grip and will not let you go. But false assurance is when we have no doubts. We do not doubt we are a Christian at all. But we should. Because our life may be filled with many red flags, perhaps not even being saved at all. And it's a scary thing. 
which the Bible warns us about. If you're driving your car and that dreaded engine light comes on when you're driving somewhere, yellow light, do you ignore it? You say, ah, you turn off again. You maybe hit the dash a few times and you hope the light switches off again. Well, somebody knows about cars, you, you can't ignore that. You'll wreck your engine. So what do you do? You take it immediately to the mechanics as quickly as you possibly can. Across Northern Ireland, across this island, I fear many are ignoring warning signs, red flags in their own walk. Because, dear friends, there are those who will come to church, outwardly will look like they're saved. If you think of Judas Iscariot, for one example. And they do not know the Lord at all. It could be that they rarely go to church at all. It could be that they have no love for the brothers and sisters in Christ at all. It could be that they have little interest in worship. It could be that they are bored of thinking about God. That is a serious and scary place to be. They're excited by the world. They love the world. They talk like the world. They act like the world. And they are uncomfortable around other believers. That's a scary place to be. Put it another way like this. Their life is a contradiction to what they profess to believe. And it won't be just Christians who will say that. It will be other people too. They do not doubt their salvation. But they should. And this is not just some splitting of theological hairs. It's not some minor difference of opinion. This is eternal hell. Versus eternal life. And out of love for you. Passages like this must be preached. So not only do you know, if you're a true believer, that you'll grow in your assurance. But if you're not, you'll discover it, perhaps even today, and look to Christ. And this would be a joyful and a wonderful day. Why? Because your eyes will be open. And you'll have a new heart. That's not a bad thing at all, dear friends. To see the problem and to rectify it by looking to Christ is the most glorious thing. It is the most glorious thing. And not something we should shy away from. Our first point that we're going to look at here this morning is our foundational beliefs matter. Our foundational beliefs matter. Verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? God is light. His standard never changes. His perfections, his radiance, his splendor never changes. He will never diminish it. He cannot deny himself in any way. And do we love this? Do we flee from darkness and look toward the light that is God? His purity never changes. What we believe about God matters. This is not just some, well, if you believe this, it's great, but if you don't, it doesn't matter. God is light. God is 
life, the source of life. During the midweek in the Bible study, we were talking about what happens to plants if there's no light. They die. What happens if there's no plants? The animals die. God is the source of all life and we have to trust him. Now there are a number of if we says here in the, in the texts in the verses after this. If we confess that this is what we believe, it's important. What we believe matters if we say that we have fellowship with him. And we should. We have fellowship with him if we trusted him. That's verse 6 in verse 7. But if we walk in the light. In verse 8, it says this. If we say that we have no sin. That's a bad belief. If we confess our sins, that's a belief as well. And also at the beginning of verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned. It says in Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice how you must believe in the heart. You must not just have intellectual knowledge of the resurrection. Not just know, oh yeah, God did that. Jesus rose from the dead. But believe it in your heart. Now John, in writing this epistle, he's not just content to leave things as they are. Because there were false teachers around the place that would have happily said, ah, God is light, that's wonderful. And they would have distorted what that meant. Some of these teachers were called Gnostics at the time. So John wanted to ask further questions. Further questions to probe at their conscience. Yes, it's wonderful. But do you believe it in your heart? And as John probes the conscience, he says different things. Verses, verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and him who is light and walk in darkness. What does John say? Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we lie and do not practice the truth. You might be thinking, John, don't hold back. Tell us what you really feel. No. He's being really, really forthright. He's been really, really forward with this because it's so serious. Because there were those people that said, oh yeah, I follow God. He is light. But I'm going to live a life that's completely contradictory to that. It's important that we profess with our mouths the right thing, but also believe it in our hearts. We need to have fellowship and communion with God. Now, you may be here this morning thinking, look, as long as you believe in Jesus, you'll be okay. As long as you just believe in Jesus, we'll all be fine. And this thinking is somewhat true. But I'll ask a probing question. Which Jesus? The Jesus of the Bible? Oh, if you believe in him and in him alone, yes, you will be saved. But is it the Jesus of our imaginations? Not formed from scripture. Is it the Jesus of other false religions? In Mormonism, they have another version of Jesus. In Islam, they have another version of Jesus. What we believe about Jesus matters. 
and how we approach God and how we view Jesus, it must be formed from the word of God and from nowhere else. This is why we've got to be very, very careful that our view of God is not distorted by our own imagination or the imagination of someone drawing a picture of the Lord. We've got to be very careful because it will corrupt how we will view God. Verse 8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's a, that's a belief. That's a confession of faith. That's a false one. You might say, I don't know anyone who would say that. All, all the people I know say that they're, they're sinners. But think about it like this. How many people will say to you, yeah, I'm a sinner, but, but I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Yeah, I've done some wrong things, but I don't deserve hell. That's most people. I'm not that bad. And it's even a lot of people who attend various churches. Did Jesus die for good people? Did he die for people who made a few mistakes? Just need a little bit of a course correction? No. I remember years ago I went to a, a, a service. It was down in Dublin. And a friend of mine wanted to bring along a family member, an elderly family member. And I said, okay, well, at least they'll hear the gospel. Don't know much about this church, so I'll go along. I did not hear the gospel once in that church. It's a pretty famous church down in Dublin. It was all about being a better person. There was nothing about the ugliness of sin. There was nothing about the wrath of God. There was simply no gospel message. We have to believe the true gospel. We have to believe the true gospel. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And we need to flee from our own darkness. And trust in Jesus Christ who is light. His life was perfect light. Perfect. In every way. Perfect obedience. Keeping the law in every point. And what does this mean? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. But verse 7 says this. But if we walk in the light. And what does it mean to walk in the light? We love the light. We delight in the light. We love it. And we hate the darkness. Now it's not to say that we'll be perfectly along that road. We will all slip into sin at times. But when we do. We will not enjoy it. And we will wish to flee Away from it. If you don't wish to grow in this area, dear friends, in your beliefs, in your, in your love of that light, then that's a red flag. Because we all need to grow. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We're not fine. We'll never, this side of eternity, get to a point where we will not need to grow Anymore. So, number one, our foundational beliefs matter. Number two, now, our fruit bearing matters. Our fruit bearing matters. When fruit is grown 
there is a particular season when you expect to see fruit. When I was living in Italy, I discovered the joy of winter oranges. What I mean by that is the oranges are just the best in the winter. Um, Anyone's from Spain and Italy, I could highly recommend them. And that even happens to me now. uh, from From early December to late January, I love oranges. Absolutely amazing. They are juiciest. They're the most pleasant fruit in the coldest of seasons. When it's cold and dark. But what if you came to an orange tree and you couldn't find any oranges? There's no oranges there. It's winter time. You're about to pick them. This is normally the time. This is normally the season you would expect to see fruit there. There's nothing. Nothing at all. You wait a little bit longer. There's nothing. What would happen to that tree? Would they just leave it up there? It would be chopped down and most likely used as firewood. Or how about we think of it another way? What if you went up to the orange tree and there was actually apples on it? Our fruit will tell us about the root, won't it? And if we have a holy root, that's the work of God, there's going to be holy fruit. It's not if. The only question is the amount. Some of us tenfold. Some of us a hundredfold. Some of us will produce more holy fruit than others and and their, their profession will be a lot clearer than others. But every single believer... From the weakest among us, from the youngest among us, to the oldest among us, every one of us produces good fruit. Now, you may not see it. Other people will see it. They'll see your growth. Sometimes we may be very hard on ourselves. We may look back five years ago, probably the best thing to do, and realize, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you have grown. Fruit matters. Now, the fruit works, will not save us. Never ever save us but it is an evidence it is an outward expression that something has happened underneath the surface a seed has been planted and life is there that's what it says and that's what life and light go together it's a necessary evidence just as when you find a a body breath is an evidence that there is life if you see a pulse That is an evidence that there is life in the person. The heart is beating. It says in verse 6 this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Walk in darkness. It is not possible, John is saying here, to produce, and I'm saying characteristic fruit. This is your life. This is what you live for. That it will be characteristically darkness. If we say that that is our life, and that's what we believe, we lie. We don't just lie to ourselves, we lie to others and we lie to God. There will be fruit. If we walk like the world, our heart is after the world. It is impossible, perhaps, to tell somebody in this situation from the world. 
Do you believe? And what does it mean to walk in the light? You love the sound. The sound. The voice of the shepherd. Remember in the scriptures we talk about sheep and a shepherd. And if you've ever been out in the field and you see a shepherd and he calls his sheep. Are the sheep kind of going, I don't know if I want to go. They run toward the shepherd. Why? There is good food with the shepherd. Here's the one who cares for me, feeds me, looks after me, loves me. And I love him. But if you walk in darkness, if you think of goats in the scriptures, there's a picture of goats, isn't there? Goats are fairly stubborn. They're very independent. They do their own thing and they go off in their own direction. That's a red flag. And the words here, walk in darkness, we lie. This is John's words, not mine. Perhaps the truth is only used when convenient. But look at what Paul said here about persuading men or persuading God. It says in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Think of the life of Paul. Think of the suffering he went through for the sake of the gospel. He walked in light. He was a sinner, just like you or I. But he suffered in this world. And sin and darkness really burdened him. Now let's think about a few examples of darkness. What does it mean to walk in darkness? It says this in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, conventions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, very much saying the same thing as Paul, or as John, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because the fruit matters. Let's take one example from this. If your life is dominated and ruled by sin. Now, it is not to say that you can't fall into any sin. As a Christian, you can. But the Lord will chasten you and bring you back to the light. The question is, do you live in a perpetual state of sin? Take the adulterer. Wipes their mouth and thinks they have done no wrong. That's a red flag. There are people who live in an adulterous relationship, profess to be Christians, come to church and think nothing of it. Paul says to such people who live in such a way, do not be deceived. He says this to the Corinthians and other places. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And to have assurance of salvation, it's a false assurance. Our next point now. Our fellowship bonds matter. Our fellowship bonds matter. Number three. Verse seven, it says this. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
Isn't that amazing? We have fellowship with one another. Now, you might notice this when you're reading through verses 5 to 10. There are breaks in these warnings. Verse 5 says who God is. God is light. Verse 6 gives a warning. Verse 7 then, lest any true believer would doubt their own salvation. He says this, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Verse 7 reassures the true believer who walks in the light. Verse 8 then comes with another warning. If we say we have no sin. Verse 9 then, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. There's reassurance there in verse 9. And then verse 10 again warns. If we say that we have not sinned, then that almost seems to escalate as it goes along. The, the, at the beginning, it says we lie. Then we deceive ourselves. And then in verse 10, he says this. We make him, that is God, a liar. He's really kind of ramping it up, isn't he, as he goes along. But he also does not want the true believer who does walk in the light to think, am I Christian? My life's not perfect. The fact that you're even worrying about it, the fact that you're thinking about the sin you maybe done this morning or something like that, and you are looking to Jesus Christ, is a sign you are actually saved. The biggest concern is for the person going, well, this is clearly not talking about me. It's usually the person with the most sensitive conscience will be wrapped with guilt. Truly a believer, truly trusting in Jesus Christ. But it's usually the person who doesn't think about these things. Is where these, it's why John is speaking so plainly and so forthrightly. Now we may be surprised to see this. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, verse 7, we have fellowship with one another. One another. Now we might just think very individualistically. We might just think of me and my relationship with God alone. But if we're not in fellowship with the church, especially our local church, that's a warning sign. It's here in church we make bonds together. We're accountable to one another. We, we, we promise things before one another. In, in, on the 22nd of January, there will be baptismal vows. And you as a congregation will make baptismal vows as well for praying for the child to be baptized. But there's other vows as well that are taking. Anyone who's a member of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland promises this. I promise by divine grace to show a teachable and submissive spirit to the teaching of Holy Scripture as set forth in the testimony. Now we as a denomination are not perfect. But there's a promise there, isn't there? There's a promise. There's also a promise I promise that by the help of the Holy Spirit, I endeavor to live a life consistent, consistent with my profession. And who's going to keep us right? Now, of course, the Spirit of God, but also each other. And it's not just going to be, hey, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe there's a little bit of that too. But often by good examples, you'll see another Christian doing something, go, hmm, I should be doing that too. And I should be sharing in that. And I should be laboring in that. Look at that faithful brother or sister in Christ. 
And it stirs you up to your own good works. Good examples. This is what fellowship means. Often we think of fellowship as tea and biscuits. I am not against that. The chats afterwards, right? I am not in any way dismissing that. But fellowship is more deep than tea and biscuits. And I'm not saying stop doing that or anything like that. But it's, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. It, it's, it's a participation. It's a sharing. It's a common bond that we share one another. The word in Greek is koinonia. Koinonia. And it has that sense of shared generosity. Shared feeling. A closeness. A relationship. Participation. Sharing in each other's lives. What does that mean? Sharing in each other's sadnesses. Sharing in each other's joys. Sharing in each other's whatever. This is what it means. And you need to know, we need to know each other better in order for that to be possible. And before we move on to our our fourth and last point, look around you. Are these bonds, these fellowship bonds that you have, are they the closest bonds that you have? In this building. It's sure to other believers in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But it starts in the local church. It starts here. And then it flows outwards to other places. Where we can be charitable. And a blessing to other people as well. This is what it means to walk in the light. If you're by yourself. If you're alone. If you isolate yourself. That is not walking in the light. And that can cause you to doubt your salvation. When you're even a true believer. But if you have no interest in that fellowship. That's a big red flag. It's a big red flag. We may say, oh, I love God who I cannot see. But I do not love my brother or sister whom I can see. The big test is loving each other, isn't it? It's easy to say we love God at times because we can't see him. But to love the imperfect Brother or sister in Christ. Notice how I said imperfect. That's the real test. Whether we love God or not. And our final point. Number four. Our future destination matters. So our fundamental beliefs matter. Our fruit bearing matters. Our fellowship bonds matter. And finally number four. Our future destination matters. Now. Here on this earth, while you have life, there is hope. But John is warning his readers not to have a false assurance. It was a real thing back then, and it's a real thing today. It takes on different forms. But the consequences are too serious. They're too serious. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Think of it another way. Nor those who walk in darkness. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. You no longer walk that way. But you were washed You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. It is not that you are perfect today. It's that you are different. Different. You may have been regenerated in the womb. 
You may, not be, you, not, you may not remember when you first started to believe. You may have been six months old when the Lord opened your heart. You may have been two years old. You may have been 10 years old. You may have been 15, 20 years old. It doesn't matter in a sense. The question is today, do you believe? And do you know where you'll spend an eternity? Notice how I'm not talking about a few years, a few moments. We'll think more about our holidays sometimes than we'll think about eternity. This is where we're going forever and ever. But if those who do not have forgiveness, those who do not see that they need forgiveness, because they say this, if we, if we, have, if we say that we have no sin, they think, well, I don't need forgiveness, that they're okay. <coughs> I think they're not sinners. They don't think that they need to repent and turn. It is possible to deceive ourselves. It's possible to deceive others. But you'll never deceive God. God knows today, in this building, those whom are his. I pray that every single person here truly knows and loves Jesus Christ, no matter your age, no matter your station, no matter your position in society, that you know Jesus Christ. We're not okay. If we say we have not sinned, verse 10, we make him a liar. You're accusing God. You're accusing God, and his word is not in us. To reject his mercy, to reject his offer of forgiveness that is available to all, he calls all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel, that is all men, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have lost in this nation the sense of urgency. I remember during... The pandemic, I looked up how many people die every day. I think it's like something like every single day there's well over a thousand people who die across the United Kingdom. It's scary. Every single day in Northern Ireland, there are tens of people who die every single day. How many of those people know the Lord? We don't think about eternity enough, do we? They're young people and they'll spend so much time thinking about a career that may last 40 years, if at all, and then it's over. It's over. Is it over in a blink of an eye? Before they know it, they're retired and life goes so quickly. But eternity is not like that. And we spend so much time thinking about the other things. May we, this Sabbath day, think about eternity and think that in the midst of our forgiveness, there are needed forgiveness. Our future destination matters. Where we're going to, if we're traveling, if, we've, if we have turned our back on spiritual Babylon, and we are walking through on our journey toward the celestial city, our final destination matters. Our final destination matters. And you might be here this morning and saying, I am saved by grace. Yes, you are. If you are saved, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But you are saved, not just to avoid hell, but you are saved from your sin. And if you are saved, you will be changed to walk in the light. Not just to walk in the light and endure it, and I'm going to go to church now, I don't really enjoy it, to delight in him. Our Christianity cannot be something we endure. 
It has to be something that we delight in because God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Because if we don't delight in him here, what is to say we'll delight in him at all in eternity? Dear friends, think about this. So many people think that they're going to heaven. But the heaven of the Bible, they would hate. Isn't that a scary prospect? They would think that to worship God for all eternity would be the most boring thing they could ever do. It's heartbreaking. But if you're born again, think about it. You'll worship him for all eternity and you will not get tired. You will not have weariness in your bodies. And you will be completely and utterly satisfied in him. Because that's the reward in heaven. It's him. God is not a means to an end. He is the end itself. So I pray, dear friends, that none here... None here have a false sense of assurance. The true looking unto Jesus. If you haven't come to him, confess your sins. Because, verse 9 says this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some, no, from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter what you have done in your past. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen.